The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome into the QB SCO Show. This is episode 19, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work at bleedinggreennation.com. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. And with me here today to talk about quarterbacks across the league, across the world, all over the land is QB1 in my heart. He's Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, happy March 28th. How you doing, brother? Happy 328 day, everybody. <laughs> 328 day. It's it's the greatest holiday on the yearly calendar. We we love it here. And March 28th should be recognized, Michael, for a variety of different reasons. And yes, it is easy as a Patriots fan to say, look, this is 328 is a fantastic date. But I want to take you back 25 years ago to a day that was very influential on me personally, primarily from a musical perspective, because 25 years ago today, Pink Floyd released their 14th album, The Division Bell. Mm. I was a junior in high school. I'm dating myself here, okay? A lot of you people aren't even 25 years old, you gentle listeners out there. I was in high school 25 years ago. I was a junior. And <laughs> this one like hit me right in the wheelhouse. There's a lot of tracks that people sort of remember. Wearing the Inside Out, people talk about coming back to life. For me, High Hopes, loved that song. The, the whole album was basically about communication and trying to talk to people. And Keep Talking was another one that was on here. Very influential album, but I did want to at least quote from one of the songs on here, Lost for Words, because I think it speaks to what we do, Michael. It speaks to life on the timeline. Hmm. And this is how this song ends. Stuck in a world of isolation while the ivy grows over the door. So I open my door to my enemies and I ask, <laughs> could we wipe the slate clean? But they tell me to please go F myself. <laughs> you know, you just can't win. And that's how the song ends. <laughs> that's tremendous that is the, that is the timeline that's the timeline right there i mean that has literally been football twitter for the past month it's a bloodbath the draft just needs to be here man you try to wipe the slate clean and they just tell you to go f yourself and yeah, of course exactly. trivia point obviously i censored myself here i didn't want mike to have to dump me but <laughs> there was only the fifth time they dropped an f-bomb in all of their albums and only the eighth, eighth time they even swore pink floyd i'm way past that what time is it yeah i've hit that already this morning <laughs> And that's just to my kids. So, you know. yeah. 
That's my morning drive. Oh, gosh. My mom listens to this show. She's going to have words. Oh, boy. Maybe I'll edit it out. We'll see. see I'll leave it. It's good. It's good fun. We're having fun here. We're excited for this show. We are. We are because we're going to be talking about top five quarterback rankings. You have your final evaluations for these guys. So we're going to be talking about the 2019 NFL draft class. That is the main topic of the show. But before we get to that, there's a non-QB Eagles-related topic that I wanted to discuss with you since you have some experience with something similar very recently. So, Mark, I spent this morning poking the hornet's nest of those that firmly believe 100% that the Eagles would never take a running back in the first round, not even at 25. And I did that by posting some clips and analytics from the Sports Info Solutions 2019 Rookie Handbook of Alabama running back Josh Jacobs. And overall, I I will say I've had some pretty fair and open discussions to this point. But as you know, when the thunder claps on the timeline, the lightning is eventually coming. So we'll see if that devolves into a mute the conversation type situation. Uh, Regardless, I think it's so black and white to think that the Eagles would never do X. And I'll tell you why. The Eagles front office is not constructed in a manner that immediately rules out differing voices. In fact, I'd say it's quite the opposite. That's why you covet voices like Joe Douglas and have them in the building. He has drafted a running back in the first round of Jamal Lewis back in 2000 and won a Super Bowl with him that same year. That's why Howie attaches himself to people like Alec Hallaby, who is a brilliant analytical mind by all accounts. That's why you poach Andrew Berry from the Browns, who, by the way, the Browns selected Nick Chubb at 35 overall, and I bet they don't regret that at all. So the idea that the Eagles 100% won't do X because they haven't done X with Howie at the helm ignores a lot of the surrounding context and the sample size that we're dealing with. I still believe that this is an offense that can be effective with a running back by committee. And I also believe that when Howie Roseman says there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, that he means it. So I don't think there's like one firm answer on these situations. And I'll be clear, I'm not advocating for Jacobs right now, March 28th. What I'm saying is, and me and Ben Solak talked about this recently, the draft is one massive butterfly effect after another. And if the board falls a certain way and Jacobs is there, there is a chance they trade back and there's a chance they take Jacobs, as small as it might be. That's all. It's a conversation that has happened or will happen inside of the building. And you know what? If you believe the rumor, and I take this with a grain of salt, but I don't dismiss it entirely. But if you believe that it's true that the Eagles would have selected Christian McCaffrey at 14th overall, if he was there, Well, that blows the entire narrative up. So do you choose not to believe that because you 100% know for certain that the Eagles would never do that? Well, that seems foolish to me. None of us can say that with any type of certainty, including myself. And I'm reminded of a story regarding Pearl Harbor that I was listening to just this morning. This was on Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, Supernova in the East Part 2. Admiral Husband E. Kimmel asked his Naval War Plans Officer, Rear Admiral Charles McMorris, quote, What do you think of the prospects of a Japanese air attack? Unquote. McMorris replied, none, absolutely none. Mark, you have experience with this. The Patriots selected Georgia running back Sonny Michel in the first round with a 31st overall selection last year. Michel had six touchdowns in the postseason, 4.7 yards per carry. In the Super Bowl, he totaled at 18 times for 94 yards and a go-ahead touchdown late in the game. You do locked on Patriots. You deal with being added by listeners and reactions to your reactions. You take it all in. You also pay attention to what the media heads are saying about players. So let me play a clip for you. I want to give the listeners a taste of what they're in for if Jacobs 
gets drafted by the Eagles and does not have like 500 yards in his first two games. This is from 98.5, the sports hub in Boston. Tony Maserati has the take. I mean, you mentioned Sony Michelle. He sucks. He blows. That guy's awful. How, like, and Are you I, willing to say that just two weeks in? I, I just, I don't see it. I just, I look at him. I don't. So Mark, what was the Sony Michelle backlash like in your experience? First of all, let me sort of set the stage for what I'm about to say, because my response to that Maserati take is going to be measured in some sense, because let's go back to how we started the show. March of 1994, I'm a junior in, in high school, okay? I am starting my recruiting process, and I have various Division three schools recruiting me to come play football for them, one of which is Tufts University. Now, I'm a junior at Waltham High School, and one of the alums of Waltham High School has gone on to Tufts University and is now a sports columnist in the Boston area. His name is Tony Maserati. And part of the recruiting pitch from Tufts was to have Mr. Mark Maserati come and talk to me personally, meet with me for an entire morning at school, pull me out of my classes to talk about what life at Tufts would be like. Hmm. And so my response here is going to be measured because I don't want to pull a Will Leach here and have my Roger Ebert moment. People can Google that piece. <laughs> so I don't want to crush the guy. Yeah. But this is what happens in the Boston area. And this is what awaits you, gentle listeners and Eagles fans, if Jacobs is the pick. And he happens to, I don't know, miss preseason. So he happens to, I don't know, struggle at times, feeling out how to make zone reads and zone blocking schemes because the holes in the NFL are a little bit smaller, just a bit, just a tiny smidge smaller than the holes he was seeing running behind George's offensive line and guys like Isaiah Wynn, who the Patriots drafted in the first round as well. So he's acclimating to life in the NFL as a running back without having preseason because he had the meniscal injury. And mm. it's a little bit hard for him because it takes some time to acclimate. And so that came out after the Lions game, which was what, week three? Yeah. He was a bust. He was an absolute bust in, in New England. And Maserati's opinion was emblematic of the entirety of sports media's opinions on Sonny Michelle. He was an absolute bust. Now, the next week, they have the sort of get back to normal, get everything right game against Miami. They blow him out 38 to 7. And I want to read just briefly from this fantastic piece. There's a, a columnist who covers the Patriots, Dave Brown, who's very sarcastic, almost acerbic to a point. I could appreciate it. Here is the headline. Embarrassing draft bust, Sony Michelle sparks weaponless Patriots in 31-point victory. It's amazing. His columns are all like this. He is at that Dave Brown on Twitter. It's great. A week after proving that Bill Belichick is an egomaniacal terror, incapable of drafting talent in the National Football League, embarrassing draft bust, Sony Michelle sparked a weaponless Patriots offense to a 38-7 victory over the Dolphins on Sunday. Michelle's breakout game comes a week after everyone concluded he was a perplexing reach in the first round who lacked the speed, hands, field vision, grit, guts, and gumption necessary to carry a football in the NFL. Therefore, it must have come as some surprise to the Dolphins that Michelle gained 112 yards on 25 carries with one touchdown. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of what happens in today's day yeah. and age when there is such a value and emphasis on the passing game there is this growing and you talked about this with matt from sis on your podcast recently this running backs don't matter belief that if you do something as wildly outside of the box as draft a running back in the first round unless he goes for 225 on 15 carries in his debut he's a bust like this is what awaits you. Yeah, microwave takes. The bigger question should be, if you're on the clock at that point and your board looks like X 
and potential trades look like why, what helps you win games more? Don't get so pigeonholed into this belief that you have to draft a position of need or this position doesn't matter in today's NFL. If you have identified in Josh Jacobs as an Eagles scout coach front office member that his skill set can help you do x y and z when you have the football and x y and z will help you win games then draft him unless there is somebody you have graded higher on your board and their x y and z will help you win more games like that's it if jacobs were selected at 25 overall there's going to be a contingent of fans that are extremely upset Number one, they're going to be upset because they've been screaming the entire time. There is no way this can happen. Right. Not a possibility. You're an idiot for thinking so. Well, now they have egg on their face, so they're going to buck back extra hard because you know what people do? They don't want to be correct. They want to be right. right. So they're going to dig in extra hard. Shout out to Kian Fahey. <laughs> then what happens if he doesn't come out and have that bombastic performance in the, in the very beginning of the season? Here goes the the talk radio, and, and I don't just, I don't just don't want to put it on talk radio and, and sports media and, and all that stuff. This is all yeah. over Twitter. People have these same reactions. They're going to call him a bust and whatnot. My feeling is if you draft Jacobs, and, and I'm staunchly don't take a running back early. I, I'm critical of those things. I'm in the middle when it comes to the running back shouldn't be MVPs versus running backs don't matter at all kind of debate, as I talked about with Matt Mano from Sports Info Solutions. But at the same time, you're going to very quickly get over that selection when the running back you selected in the first round, like Sony Michelle, has 18 carries, 94 yards, and a touchdown in the Super Bowl, six total touchdowns in the yeah. postseason. You're going to very quickly get over that with that type of production, right? When they made that pick, a lot of people overreacted to the Michelle pick because it was like, well, that's not what Brady needs. Like, This is what the offense needs. Let's remember that Bill Belichick has the philosophy of it's always better to be a year ahead of schedule than a year behind schedule. The duality of those two picks in the first round, Isaiah Wynn, and Sony Michelle were a nod to a post-Brady era in a post-Brady transition period where you can't rely on your quarterback to slant it 55 times and win. You might have to run it 30, 35, 40 times a game or something like that to take some pressure off right. your new quarterback. Maybe he's a rookie. Maybe he's a younger guy. Maybe he's a veteran that just isn't that good. And so you need those pieces. It just so happens that down the stretch and going into the playoffs, they were struggling in the passing game. You see their win against Buffalo late the season. And I literally on the air that night on my show said, I don't know about this passing game right now. Because I don't know if yeah. they could go into the playoffs and get the kind of game and the passing game they need from Tom Brady and company to win a game. Now, I have some serious egg on my face after that AFC Championship game because they were able to do it. But you looked at how they closed out the season. You look at that win against the Chargers, the division round. This was a running team. And it was propelled in part by the guy they drafted in the first round in Sony Michelle. Because you don't know. Because you <laughs> and, don't and, know what's going to happen. And I didn't mean to jump on you there. But we're expecting Carson wants to come back, have a great season. What if he gets hurt again? What if he doesn't have a great season? Right. You might need to have a backup plan, and that might be running the ball. And if you've identified Josh Jacobs as a guy that can execute that potential plan B, it might be worth it to draft him in the first round. And I know it's like, what, you're going to draft a backup plan in the first round? Well, football needs – it's like NASA. You get a backup plan for your backup plan. And, and I'm fascinated, and, and here's my last point on this. The contingencies that are out there, I wonder how much overlap there is because if they exist together – it doesn't make much sense to me because there's the portion of the fans 
that are absolutely against drafting a running back in round one. Where that stops, I'm not sure. Like if they're at pick 33, does it make a difference to you? Are you criticizing the Browns for taking Nick Chubb at, at 35? Like where do, where's the line of demarcation there? The other contingency, are these the same people that wanted to sign Le'Veon Bill to a massive oh. contract? Because that oh. doesn't make any sense together. Because yeah, if you're going to take a running back, you're going to get him cheaper as a rookie with much yeah. less wear and tear and less worries about is he going to sit out or what's he going to do? And then you have the contingency that says, well, you can get them anywhere. You can get running backs anywhere. Well, anybody that that watched the Eagles last year knows that's not to be true. We kind of got that feeling after Corey Clement made a significant impact on the offense in his rookie year and then fell off the table in year two. If the Eagles UDFAs and Corey Clement and Josh Adams and their fifth round pick, I believe it was, in Wendell Smallwood and their other running back, Danell Pumphrey, who was in and out everywhere, if those four had made impacts because you could just get them anywhere, then we wouldn't be having this discussion about the Eagles not addressing the running back situation yet because there wouldn't be a situation it would be solved. So that's my thoughts on the matter. When we come back here on Bleeding Green Nation and the QB Sco Show, episode 19, we're going to be digging into Mark Schofield's top five quarterbacks entering the NFL draft. That's up next, right after this. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back on the QB Sco Show, episode 19, brought to you by the fine folks, at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Mark, it's been a long journey to get here. There was a lot of film to watch for you, and I don't envy you at all with this quarterback class, but it looks like you have finally solidified your top five quarterbacks for the 2019 NFL Draft. If I can take a guess, based on the conversations that me and you have had in the past, not just in the DMs, but also on this show, would I be right in saying that Kyler Murray from Oklahoma is QB1. Did I steal your thunder? I'm sorry about that. I'm going to steal some thunder right back because we have a little bit of breaking news, <laughs> nothing earth shattering, but this is going to show you how much I want to talk about this quarterback class because the University of Houston is having their pro day today as we're recording this, Michael, and Ed Oliver just ran his 40. What do you think he ran? Oh, geez. Uh, I'm going to say at, at least around the four sevens. I wouldn't be surprised if he if he hit four, like high four, four sixes. Unofficial 4.75. That's a big man. That's a big boy. That's a big boy. I think if he's there with the Eagles are on the clock in the first round, obviously you pass and wait till the fifth. (laughs) Yeah. No, if Ed Oliver is there, and this is what we talked about, how how the board falls is very important. If Ed Oliver is there, I'm taking Ed Oliver. I don't don't want any confusion about that. Race into Nashville somehow and tackling (laughs) people. And so every team passes until the Patriots are on the clock. I mean, if he gets past a certain point, you're trading up. I mean, that's that's a wow. All right. Let's get back to this collection of misfits here in this 2019 class. And yes, Michael, you are correct. Kyler Murray is my QB1. And let me walk people through the process a bit because this has played out in the DMs, Mike. You've been a witness to this. For a long time, I just was like, look. Haskins is going to be my QB one. 
I like his process. I like the mental approach. And then I sat down, put these guys through my grading scale. And every time I ran the numbers, it came back to the same answer. Kyler Murray, QB1. I would tweak the numbers. I would say, how can I make this work? Because I just was like, wait a second. Come on. Out of curiosity type deal, like what do I need to do? What would have to happen for Dwayne Haskins to, in my formula, where I take the traits and I grade them and I weigh them in a certain way? Like, for example, competitive toughness is important, but I'm not going to make it as important as, say, you know, some of the other things. You know, weighing things and things like that. If I made sort of competitive toughness and the mental approach 93% of the grade, then Dwayne Haskins becomes QB1. Otherwise. Otherwise, it's Kyler Murray. As much as I wanted to test it and tweak it and stress the formula, I think what it comes down to, and it was kind of illuminated in a piece I recently did for Pro Football Weekly just this week, where I took all the quarterbacks and I tried to create you know, the perfect draft. It's similar to what we did a couple of weeks ago, where you create the like perfect draft quarterback. And I went into mm-hmm. more detail with like more trade stuff and just not just sort of body parts. And Murray was like 50% of the article. He was like 50 to 60% of the quarterback. And that just kind of tells you where he is as a draft prospect. And for me, the ultimate sort of deciding factor was, I think we have gotten to the point where the process a quarterback takes is outweighed by the results that the quarterback delivers. And what Mm -hmm. I sort of mean by that is this, for so often we've valued things at the quarterback position, like can they make reads from the pocket and can they stay in the pocket and make throws on third down, your prototypical pocket passers, your pro style traits. And that's sort of shaped and crafted our evaluation scales of these players to the point where the 2016 draft class, the Goff, Wentz, Dak class, my top four in order were Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Paxton Lynch, got that part right, at least in terms of draft order. Connor Cook was four. And why? I remember making the arguments and having the takes and tweeting them out and yelling at people, look, sometimes in the NFL, you got to stick there in the pocket on a third down and make the throw on third and seven to move the change. Like, that's literally what I said to, like, back up my Connor Cook take. And it turns out in today's NFL, that may not be as important as we thought it was. And so right. this idea that has shaped all of our collective evaluation of quarterbacks looking at their process and how do they do it right? Do they do it right? Do they get to the right decision? Well, it kind of matters still, but the results sometimes matter more. And that's where Murray sort of has a huge edge on most, if not all, of the guys in this class because maybe he might bail the pocket here and there, okay, but he makes it work and the results are there. And maybe he'll take off running when you want to see other guys tuck it, I mean, stay in the pocket and throw, but he outruns everybody and gets to the end zone. And it seems like he can make that work in the NFL. And we've seen more recently coaches open to that idea. And so – that coupled with my one hand up sort of with Haskins, and then I'll shut up for a minute. The process will be great. My notes will be filled with moments like, love the process, love the thinking here, love how he's going through his reads, but please, God, complete the throw. If your <laughs> process gets you to the right decision, but then you continually fail on executing that, how highly can we truly view you? Now, he is still a very good quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, and I think that He's going to go in the first round, I think, in the right environment, as is the case with all of these guys. Like He can have some success. But I have come sort of full circle, and it's going to be weird in like three names when I go back to the, oh, you need to go make throws from the pocket in defense of my QB4. But in terms of Murray over Haskins and Murray over the rest of the guys, it's, it's Kyler Murray. And it's a weird one for me because I have been – the prototypical pocket passer type guy for the longest time. Look at last year. Not that Murray and Haskins is one-to-one to Rosen and Mayfield, 
But there's some similarity between those four quarterbacks and that Baker and Kyler, obviously they're running the same offense, a little bit more of guys that would seek out chaos and like to create. Whereas Rosen and Haskins, you're more prototypical pocket passers. Well, last year I had Rosen one, Baker two. And now I've kind of flipped right. those types of players. And it's in keeping with the times. Now, who knows? Again, none of what we do or say here matters. You know, where these guys end up and how they're used, <laughs> that's what matters. But for me right now here, it's Kyler Murray QB1. Yeah, and I know your type of quarterback and I know your process and I know the things that you value. And if you were to ask me, you know, back in January, who do you think ends up as Mark's QB1? I would have said Dwayne Haskins, especially because of the processing part and whatnot. But you're right, as the game evolves and we value different things with quarterbacks. And as long as the accuracy checks out, then you look at a guy like Kyler Murray and you see a guy that – on the move, off platform, any platform you wanted to throw it from can just put it in the bucket with with touch. He can zip it in there if he needs to. He can create plays out of structure, create explosive plays that way. There are so many different things there that you can work with that you can kind of look past some of the flaws. For instance, you know, mental processing, processing things happening, you know, over the middle. I don't have a problem with his height when it comes to like batted balls. I didn't see many batted balls no. on film, and I think the analytics bear that out as well. But sometimes processing that action over the middle. So what do you have to do? I mean, you can have him take deeper drops. You can have him on the move a little bit more. There are ways to work over around that and as long as you work around that well enough everything else is just awesome with Murray so Murray would be my quarterback one as well as a big time Patrick Mahomes fan and I am not in any way in any way calling Kyler Murray Patrick Mahomes but they seek out chaos kind of in the same way so uh, that's that's the kind of quarterback that I want to watch if Kyler Murray is good and turns out to be a very good quarterback uh, it's going to be fun on Sundays. And I said the same thing about Patrick Mahomes. So that's, that's, that's my thinking on that quarterback too. Obviously you mentioned him already. Dwayne Haskins from Ohio state, man, I had a tough time with Haskins film. It was kind of all over the place for me. You could see the flashes of where it works and everything looks pretty in the pre-snap processing matches the post-snap processing and the execution and whatnot. But then you get to stretches and games like the end of Purdue, the end of the third quarter, Beginning of the fourth quarter, there's a stretch of just six or seven throws where I'm going, what are you doing? And there were, there were too many moments like that. There were too many misses for me. What did you think about Haskins overall that had you put him at number two? Well, it's interesting you mentioned that Purdue game because that was one of those games, and I've mentioned it before, like the Penn State game with him too, where you see them get tested, you see them struggle, and you see how they come through it. And into the fourth quarter, I mean, he made a play a fourth and eight in the fourth quarter of that Purdue game where he sees blitz pre-snap. He adjusts the protection. He brings the tight end in. He's expecting the all-out blitz. They don't. They drop it to a soft zone. He reads it perfectly, fires a dart on a post route for a touchdown. And I'm like, well, yeah. he's been through hell. And yeah, they're losing, <laughs> but he's still doing this. And that's why I loved him from right. sort of that competitive toughness, like mental point of view. And again, I love the mental side to him. It's just the execution in terms of like ball placement down the field to all levels, really. It's just too inconsistent doesn't have that sort of like upside, obviously, that you get with Murray. And so as it sometimes comes down to when you're ranking quarterbacks or decided one or the other, it comes down to which guy you like more. And this year, it's Kyler Murray. I'm not saying that Dwayne Haskins is going to be a bad quarterback or he's destined to be a bust or anything like that. I just think there's some inconsistencies there with his game, some ball placement issues that I do believe stem from some lower body mechanical concerns that can get ironed out and he seems to be working on them. He's not obviously the athlete that Kyler Murray is. So there's 
a path to NFL success for him. Not according to Stephen A. Smith. According oh, to Stephen A. Smith, he's he, a scrambler. Yeah, he, he's <laughs> Randall Cunningham back there. And, you know, but I, I think the path to NFL success is a little bit easier for Murray. That's why one versus two. Quarterback three is is a big slot because you're seeing a couple of guys that are being projected as first round possibilities. There are guys like Daniel Jones getting first round hype, guys like Drew Locke. I'm not necessarily sold on either of them. Is one of those two guys your QB3? Yeah, one of them is my QB3 and one of them is not in my top five. And the guy that is QB3 is Locke. He's not, again, my cup of tea. Because he's basically Daryl LaMonica. I mean, he's the mad bomber in a sense. Like, (laughs) wants to push the ball down the field. Like, that's kind of who he is. You see him three years ago, two years ago. He was basically running Baylor's offense. Everything's a a smoke. Everything's a slant, a hitch, a go. That's it. Now, with Derek Dooley, like, there are some throws in the middle of the field and stuff like that. He's throwing some digs and things like that. But, I mean, I literally sat down and charted, like, five games, like, with terms of throws to areas of the field, like, exact yardage distance from the sideline and stuff like that. Five games of him versus five games of our next quarterback. And they look like completely different maps. Like, one's mm. basically a boundary guy. One's a guy who's going to throw it all over the field. But with Locke, you do have the arm talents. With Locke, you do see some development in sort of the process and speed area, particularly the last year under Dooley. There's enough that I think, similar to what we were just talking about with Haskins, there's a path to NFL success. You have to also consider that he is the type of quarterback that gets NFL people excited. I mean, not that that factors into sort of the the way you evaluate them and grade them yourself, but in terms of an overall picture here, like the league is going to give this kid a shot because of the arm. And what has also made an impression on me is his sort of pre-draft process because you see him down in Mobile, you see the mechanics get him better, you see him go into that environment when it's, oh, one of these guys, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, has a chance to solidify themselves as a first-round draft pick. One of them had a very good week in that environment. One of them, even though he was Senior Bowl MVP of the game, did not have a very good week. And Drew Locke is built upon that, looked good at his pro day. Again, not that it matters, but he's handled the process very well, where I think it's been a bit bumpier for Daniel Jones. And so you put that together, and there's enough, I think, to make the case that if you're a team like, say, Washington or Denver, and you want to draft a guy in the first round, you don't want to trade up to get him, but if there's somebody that's going to fall to you or you might have to go up a spot or two and you've identified Drew Locke, okay, like I can live with that. Like he's not gonna have he's gonna have a second round grade from me, but I, I get it. Grades for quarterbacks really don't matter. They don't if matter. You need one. Basically, <laughs> write their names on a piece of paper, walk to the top of the stairs, kick the stack of papers down the stairs. Whoever lands closest <laughs> to the bottom, there's your first round grade. Like they don't matter. These guys get pushed up the boards to a ridiculous extent. I mean, a guy I'm gonna have like a fourth round grade on is gonna go in the first round, perhaps. So <laughs> I mean, last year, I mean, last year, that was Josh Allen. Like, I was looking at Josh Allen like, look, I would not do it. And he goes seventh overall. It's weird. There's a golf. And we're going to talk about that golf in about 13 seconds. Let's talk about the golf from quarterback three to quarterback four. Is that is that where the, the big C exists, the English Channel? The English Channel. Interesting. I don't know. You can swim across it, right? It's got to be – it feels a lot longer when no, you swim well, across what's it. interesting is I think the English <laughs> – well, the English Channel that I'm going to talk about here is the gulf between how draft Twitter views quarterback four and how the NFL seemingly views quarterback four. Because quarterback four for me is Brett Redman. And – Look, yeah. I'm going to die on this hill. I don't care, but I'm not going to be alone because you look around the Kyle Krabs of the world, the Derek, 
you know, Clausens of the world and others. Like people on the outside looking in, there are people like sort of in the draft to the world that have this guy's like QB one or two because people identify in him like the things that he can do well. And yes, he is more of your prototypical pocket passer. I've called him sort of the refined quarterback in a draft class that lacks a refined quarterback because he does the little things. And we've talked about a lot of it here. Yeah. What blows my mind and where I'm so curious to see him get drafted is no senior bowl invite. Just the shrine game. Yeah. Shrine game invite. He was one of the throwing quarterbacks at the combine, which while yes, there have been people like Tony Romo that have gone on to have great careers, like your throwing quarterbacks tend to be the guys that aren't really viewed that highly by the league. And yeah. you look at, for example, how you know more professional or you know former scouts and evaluators have looked at this kid. For example, Greg Gabriel. Say what you want about him, you know, nine, 10 years with the Bears as their director of scouting or whatever. And the Pro Football Weekly Draft Magazine doesn't even list him. Like, he's not even in it. Russ Land, who's now like one of the head scouts for the CFL, he's got some scouting experience and background to him. You know, I had a conversation with him, an extremely friendly conversation. He said he'd check out my work on him to see if he was missing something, which I truly appreciate. He said, look, I've charted 15 guys now. He's at the bottom. And there's just a big gulf between how people like me are looking at him. And people more on the inside are looking at him. And remember, we lobbied. We lobbied <laughs> Jim Nagy and everybody at the Senior Bowl to get him an invite. And I talked to people down there and they're just like, look, it's a deep group with a lot of different guys and a lot of talented kids. And you're seeing Trace McSorley get the Senior Bowl invite. We talked yeah. We talked directly to Jim Nagy. Yeah. We, know we, we know he saw this. Yeah. He responded to people, several people that, that had asked if Rippon was going to be one of the guys. And he was like, no. And they put him McSorley. Yeah. Like, it's such a, it's such a huge difference to me. I, I don't understand. Now, it. now, if there was a chance we're hearing rumblings that, look, you know, teams have asked McSorley, why don't you work out a defensive back? Would you work out a deep back right. for us? If there was a chance that they viewed this situation as we might look at McSorley as a defensive back. Maybe we get him that senior bowl invite. We want to see him down there. Yeah, he'll go as a quarterback, but whatever. We just want to see him and meet with him and talk to him. This is an opportunity to do it, and then we'll value it as a defensive back. Fine. But, I mean, you're taking up a quarterback spot for a guy that the league insists is going to just basically move to defensive back. Like, it just – the, the ripping thing bugs me. And, again, I know I'm on a bit of a soapbox when it comes to this kid. I've been writing about him <laughs> since he was a freshman. People are probably – my family is tired of the day Brett Rippin. I wake <laughs> up in the morning and I'm like, hey, do you know who's a good quarterback? And the kids are just like, Brett Rippin. Like, it's just a running <laughs> joke in the family. But I believe in this kid. And maybe this is a test of how we do this as evaluators. Maybe this is a, going to be a learning moment for me because – Right. You almost sort of get emotionally invested. And now that won't prevent me from saying there are some arm strength questions. There's a big old quicksand question with him. He makes a mistake and it takes him a drive or two or maybe more to get back on track. There are some concerns with him. There's a size concern in that he's got the nine-inch hands. And for some teams, that might take him off their board. Did it take Mahomes off people's boards? But I'm just saying And so, yes, I do see some flaws, but in a quarterback class filled with uncertainty, we're talking about a 5'10 quarterback being QB1. Up is down, left is right, cats and dogs living forever. Like That's this kind of quarterback class this year. A guy like Brett Rippon, he's the refined, finished product that, yes, doesn't have the huge upside, but if you need the guy to do the things that typically work in the National Football League, he might be your guy. So that is another... Brett Rippon Hill, 
here on the QPSCO show. We did it. We just dialed hills. That's what we do. We dialed hills. We ask our friends to wipe the slate clean and they tell us to stay dead on that hill. Mark, one name that you have not mentioned yet. Daniel Jones from Duke. Punter one. Punter one. quarterback. Hunter. And is he quarterback five for you? No. Oh, who is Will it? Greer? Oh, Thrill Greer. Will the Thrill, thrill baby. And uh, look, I get the Daniel Jones sort of hype. Okay, here's the thing. When I did that piece for PFW just this week about building the perfect quarterback, I just basically gave Daniel Jones mechanics. And it's true. He has very nice mechanics. But that was all I could really come up for him in terms of like a trump card standout thing. Are mechanics a huge trump card when it comes to playing quarterback in the NFL? Brad Kaya, and you pointed this out in the DMs. You were like, is Jones Brad Kaya 2.0? Because Brad Kaya had like teaching tape mechanics. And I said yep. it that year. Yep. I mean, I remember I, I remember all the takes I have in the hills that I dialed. Oh, if I was a high school coach, I would just take Brad Kaya, Phil, but put it in front of my kids and say, that's how you throw a football. Now go get him. You know, that's what I would do because his mechanics were perfect. Yep. And I think he's selling insurance right now. Yeah. Mechanics aren't like this huge trump card. With Greer, it's that competitive toughness. Look, again, when he looked everybody dead in the eye down at the senior bowl and said, I'm the best quarterback in this class. I have the best arm. You're damn right I'm throwing to the combine. Like, I get it. I get yeah. it, dude. I'm with yeah. you. But it, <laughs> you see it on film. And for the for the article, like I picked out a play and, and you see it a lot with him. He's got what I call appropriate aggression. Like you will see throws and you're like, what was he doing like that was into the middle of six defenders what was going on and then you wind it back and you're like oh the crossing route has beaten those two defenders they can't make a play he knows this is cover three so that corner is bailing and he knows if he gets it in there that safety's not coming down in time so yes it's into a sea of four defenders but none of them are making a play on the ball and you look around at the rest of this class not too many guys are making that kind of throw but Greer does it has like no fear you can't play this position scared. And so when I look at these two guys, Jones is QB6. Like I get why the league kind of likes him. I get he's probably going to go in the first round, whatever, okay? If I'm picking a quarterback, I want the guy that's going to look at that and say, I could make that throw as opposed to Jones who's kind of like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Like, And if you think about studying these guys and throws that stick in your mind, like I've got like one for Jones and I'm just going to like base an, a section of an article on. I've got a number of them from Greer. Not that you – you know, draft a guy based on a handful of plays, but there are things that stick in your minds. And with Greer, it's like there's appropriate aggression. He understands when to take risks. Yes, sometimes it burns him, but I'd rather that guy than somebody else. So what you're saying is Daniel Jones, pick number six, plus pick number 17, who are the New York Giants, trade up, go get them. Make a oh. good decision, Dave Gettleman. Complete this offseason process for us. Here's a question. Jones at 17 or Greer at 37 if you're the New York Giants? I mean, that's interesting. I don't – Because, again, look, this is lion season, okay? This is the season of don't believe a single thing you've been told. <laughs> and my sources are minimal, fifth hand at best perhaps. But I have <laughs> been told that that is the debate going on right now in New York. Wow. Jones at 17 or Greer at 37? Wow. That's fascinating. I can't yeah. believe Kevin Bacon told you that. That's crazy. No, it wasn't. It was. It was like somebody that was in cat that was in um, 
Animal House with Kevin Bacon. It wasn't even Kevin Bacon. It was like <laughs> Kevin Bacon's Kevin Bacon. That's incredible. I mean, and again, this is all like, again, don't go rent a Roto World or anything on yeah. this. It's just like all like fifth, sixth hand or whatever. But that's sort of the situation that seems to be playing out the rumblings out of, you know, MetLife Stadium. Here's Here's the thing. I wouldn't want to touch either of them at either of those spots, would you? I'd be, if I'm forced to make the two, I would be much more comfortable with Grant at 37 than Jones at 17. Okay. Because think about it. You could get two very good players at 6 and 17. You get a year of Greer, a year of Greer, baby. That sounds like a 30 for 30 right there. <laughs> and then you've got a, a year to sort of figure him out. Yeah. If you're satisfied with him, great. If not, well, you're probably going to be picking in the top six next yeah. year. So go get to it. I mean, it would make sense that you would take Greer over Jones. He's high. He's ranked higher for you. So, of course, it would make sense to get him at a later pick. Yeah. I just – at 37 is rich, but quarterbacks are quarterbacks and they get pushed up the board. And that's how Yeah, I works. mean, look, he, he's, a, he's a guy that has like a third-round grade, but it's a quarterback. And we are a quarterback show. So that's what we do here. Well, yeah, that's what we do. Hey, to the, to the losers and the haters that said we weren't going to hit, you know, <laughs> 10 shows, this is 19. Yeah. All you losers, yeah. we're going to hit 20. We are. And then we're done. And then, and then that's it. And then we're it. getting shut down. <laughs> the draft is just Hope you all enjoyed the ride. So that's going to do it for the QB Sco Show, episode 19, getting close to 20 here on Bleeding Green Nation. Remember, if you haven't done it yet, leave a funny review on Apple Podcasts. We'll probably read it on the show, especially if you're mean to Ben. Leave us five stars. We're over 800 five-star ratings. I've mentioned it a couple times by now, but we really, really do appreciate it. And we appreciate you listening to the QB Sco Show here on Bleeding Green Nation.